Zechariah chapter 2, we begin in verse 1. I lifted up mine eyes again and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then said I, Whither goest thou? And he said unto me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth thereof, and what is the length thereof. And behold, the angel that talked with me went forth, and another angel went out to meet him, and said unto him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. For I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire round about, and will be the glory in the midst of her. Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heaven, saith the Lord. Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, After the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you. For he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. For behold, I will shake mine hand upon them, and they shall be a spoil to their servants. And ye shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto thee. And the Lord shall inherit Judah his portion in the holy land, and shall choose Jerusalem again. Be silent, O all flesh, before the Lord, for he is raised up out of his holy habitation. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word for his name's sake. I'm not going to focus so much on any particular text as I'm going to do uh, sort of a survey of the entire chapter, but I will, however, call your attention to verse 10. We'll call this our motto text for 2023, where we read, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. And oh, may we see such a text fulfilled in our midst, as we know the presence of the Lord in our midst like never before in the year 2023. I've actually used the book of Zechariah in the past for motto texts. If you'd want to flip over a page to chapter 4, some very familiar verses, it's almost tempting to utilize them again. Who's to say that you have to restrict yourself to a single year for a motto text or that you can't come back to one? I'm sure you know it in the beginning of, or the middle rather, of verse 6, where it says, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain. And he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. 
I preached a message from that text many years ago uh, on the theme of casting mountains into the sea. The Lord Jesus, who said that if you have faith even the size of a mustard seed, you'll be able to cast mountains into the sea. And of course, the Lord was speaking spiritually. In, In the case here in Zechariah, the mountain to be cast into the sea was the mountain of resistance to the rebuilding of the temple of the Lord and the city of Jerusalem. That resistance would be overcome. And the way it would be overcome would not be by the strenuous effort of the people of God, but it would be accomplished by the grace of God. Grace, grace unto it is shouted in that instance. Now, one of the things that I enjoy about the prophet Zechariah, as well as the prophet Haggai, is the ministry that they both were engaged in. They were contemporaries of each other. Okay, They were both on the scene at the same time. And their ministries took place after the exile. You know a little bit your Old Testament history. The northern tribes were taken into captivity by Assyria. Uh, The southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, taken into captivity years later by the Babylonians. That period of captivity, or that exile as it's called, lasted for 70 years, just as the prophet Jeremiah said it would. And following that 70-year period, the Jews were given permission to return back to the promised land, okay? So that's what I mean when I say their ministries took place after the exile. We have the account of the ministries of Zechariah and Haggai in the book of Ezra. They're mentioned there. And if you know anything about the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah, then you know that the children of Israel met with great challenges and great difficulties in the matter of rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the city itself. Only a very small remnant actually returned to the land once permission was given by Cyrus, king of Persia, to return. Can you imagine what it would have been like to leave a comfortable environment in the land of your captivity to return to a place that was nothing but a pile of burned rubble? Who wants to go back to that? Oh, this was the city that once knew visitations from God. This was the city that once ruled over many nations. It was in Jerusalem, you recall, that Solomon had built a glorious temple to Jehovah, and God himself had condescended to fill that temple with his glory in such a way that the priests couldn't even approach it. This was a city, you could say, with a history of revival, a city with a spiritual heritage. It was this city where God had at one time chosen to dwell, but there was no evidence for any of that during the days of Zechariah. The Israelites returned to a land and to a city that was burned to the ground, the walls were destroyed. The temple utterly destroyed, in ruins. 
The city now was a heap of burned ruins, which testified to the truth of God that he would judge the city if the city forsook him. And sure enough, it came to pass just as the Lord said it would. It kind of shows you, doesn't it, from a historical perspective that when God gives warnings pertaining to judgment, uh, those warnings are to be taken seriously. God is not the way we are at times. To give warning after warning after warning uh, when we never really have much of an intention of making good on our threats uh, just because we don't want to get up to do it, so to speak. God is not like that. Now, the first part of rebuilding Jerusalem would have been to clean up those ruins. And as the work of rebuilding the temple and the city advanced, the people met tremendous opposition from the surrounding nations. Eventually, their enemies succeeded in bringing the entire project to a halt. They had been in constant contact with the king of Persia, and eventually they prevailed upon him by reminding him of the greatness of the way that city used to be and the potential damage that could happen to the king if he lets that city continue to be built. And so the whole thing came to a grinding halt right in the middle of the building project. And it's in connection with getting the building project going again that Haggai and Zechariah are used of the Lord. Haggai places an emphasis on rearranging their priorities. Seems that the Israelites placed a greater emphasis on building their own houses and looking after themselves to the neglect of the house of the Lord. And so Haggai challenges the people to examine their priorities. Zechariah places an emphasis on encouragement. His ministry, you could say, was to encourage the people to pick up this building project again, this project that had stalled uh, through the influence of their enemies. And the way Zechariah... Uh, does this is by conveying to them the word that the Lord had given him that the Lord would be among his people again. Look at verse 10. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. There is a promise here that the Lord would be with his people again. And his glory would be manifested again. Look at verse 5. For I, saith the Lord, will be under her a wall of fire round about, and will be the glory in the midst of her. And the lesson that is learned by Zechariah's ministry is that the Lord's purpose in building his church is still advancing you would be tempted to think that maybe the whole thing had come to an end once Jerusalem was destroyed. How can redemption go forward? The chosen people have rebelled against God, so much so that God had to at last judge them. And the city is destroyed, and the temple is burned down. But a remnant does return, 
And through the ministry of Zechariah and Haggai, they are encouraged to go forward with the building project, uh, government sanctions notwithstanding. And so they do. And to encourage them, Zechariah speaks to them the word of the Lord in which they have the promise of the Lord's presence and they have the promise of the Lord's glory. And like I say, from that we draw the lesson that the Lord is building his church. His cause is still advancing. His purpose and redemption is still moving forward. He remembers his covenant. He remembers his promises. In fact, the name Zechariah means Jehovah remembers. The spiritual application of Zechariah's ministry to our day are numerous. It could certainly be said in a spiritual sense that our land today lies in ruins. Like Jerusalem, we enjoy a rich spiritual heritage in our nation. The history of our nation is a history of revival. And yet, arguably, today the land suffers from spiritual famine. It's been pointed out that following what some refer to as the wildfire wildfire evangelism of Charles Finney, that our nation has not seen revival. Certainly it has not seen it on the same scale that it has in days gone by. And some trace that to the kind of evangelism that Finney embarked in. We reap the rotten fruit of what you might call popular but powerless Christianity today. And it leads us to wonder, is the work of the church advancing? Is the cause of Christ moving forward? Or has the wildfire of humanistic evangelism taken its toll in leaving the land spiritually barren, never to be recovered? Well, Zechariah's message to the Israelites was that the cause of redemption was advancing, And Zechariah sought to encourage them with that truth. I would like us today to allow Zechariah to minister the same encouragement to our souls. So I have just two simple thoughts from Zechariah chapter 2. Two different thoughts, okay, and simple thoughts. One, God's purpose for his people is greater than their expectations. God's purpose for his people is greater than their expectations. Look at the first four verses again with me in Zechariah chapter 2. I lifted up mine eyes again and looked and behold a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then said I, whither goest thou? And he said unto me to measure Jerusalem to see what is the breadth thereof and what is the length thereof. And behold, the angel that talked with me went forth, and another angel went out to meet him, and said unto him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. In the imagery of this text, we see a man, an angel, with a measuring line in his hand, who goes forth to measure Jerusalem. 
Now, when you think in terms of measurements, you are, in a sense, placing boundaries to the thing that is measured. So in the middle of this action, another angel goes forth to meet the first angel and turns him back from his mission of measuring by telling him to go back to the young man. Evidently, Zechariah was a young man. Go back to Zechariah and tell him that Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. Do you capture that picture? One angel goes out, he's about to conduct some measurements. Another angel goes after him before he can even start those measurements. He interrupts him, sends him back to Zechariah, and says to him, this city's going to be larger than what you can really measure. That's the thrust of the vision. The blessing will be larger than what can be contained in walls. The blessing will defy measurement. This is the message to Zechariah from the angel. And this accords with God's purpose in redemption. The same idea is conveyed to us from the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 11, we read of a multitude of angels and the beasts and the elders. The number of them is 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And here is a number that defies calculation, and with united voices they sing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. In Revelation 7, we read of the 144,000 being sealed by the Lord. And five verses later, in verse 9, we read, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Oh, the Lord goes to great lengths to demonstrate to us again and again that his cause will be successful. His cause will prosper. He cannot and he will not fail in the cause that his son represents. You could say the same imagery and message is given to us in the book of Ezekiel. Near the end of the book, chapter 47, a man with a measuring line leads Ezekiel into ankle-deep water, and then he measures a thousand uh, furlongs, brings Ezekiel into knee-deep water. The man measures a thousand more and brings Ezekiel into water to the loins. And then in verse 5 of Ezekiel 47, we read, Afterward he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass over, for the waters were risen, waters to swim in, a water that could not be, or a river rather, that could not be passed over. And the lesson that's repeated again and again to the prophets and the apostles, is that God cannot be limited. His purpose exceeds our expectations. And the lessons we draw from these verses that communicate this truth is simply this. We have to be careful that we don't commit the sin of limiting our God. Psalm 78 is a psalm of reflection 
in which the psalmist is thinking about the history of Israel. And in verse 40, he writes, How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Oh, may we be saved from such small thinking when it comes to God. Second lesson we draw is that we should exercise our faith by asking great things from our God. The hymn writer captured this sentiment when he wrote, My soul asks what thou wilt, thou canst not be too bold. Since his own blood for thee was spilt, what else can he withhold? Beyond our utmost wants, his love and power can bless. To praying souls he always grants more than they can express. Since tis the Lord's command, our mouth will open wide. Lord, open thou thy bounteous hand that we may be supplied. To the eye of the flesh among those that inhabited Jerusalem in Zechariah's day, none of those things would have seemed possible. To us today that live in a world that is so ungodly, it hardly seems possible that God would move. But he will. He makes it too plain in his word that he'll move and he'll bless and he'll advance his cause. That cause must first be advanced in our own hearts. Then it will be advanced in our homes and in our church and in our neighborhoods and throughout the land. So that's the first lesson then. God's purpose is greater than our expectations. Let's make sure we align our expectations with God's purpose. Secondly, and finally, God's presence with his people is the reason for joy. God's presence with his people is the reason for joy. And again, I call your attention to verse 5. For I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire round about, and will be the glory in the midst of her. You may recall, if you know the book of Ezra, that when the foundation of the temple was laid, a very loud cry went up from the people, which could be heard for miles around. And it was a mixed cry. Some were rejoicing over the progress that was made, and they were shouting for joy. The older ones were lamenting how small this temple was going to be in comparison to what they had known in earlier days. And in the book of Haggai, remember now Haggai is Zechariah's contemporary. In the book of Haggai, the Lord addresses those older Israelites who had lived long enough to see that first temple. Flip over a page or two, you won't have to go far. Haggai is right before Zechariah. And look with me at Haggai chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, where we read, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? The reference is being made there uh, to Solomon's temple 
which was a glorious, magnificent building. And how do you see it now? We go on. Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not, for thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. What a magnificent message to the discouraged elderly folks who were gauging things only by external measurements. This has been a constant, consistent precept throughout the history of redemption. It is the Lord's presence that makes the difference. It is the Lord's glory that makes the house attractive. It's not the appearance of a building. It's not the size of the crowd. I dare say you can find many fancy buildings across the land today, even in the city of Indianapolis, and not find the Lord in those places. You can find auditoriums that are filled with many people, and find the glory of the world rather than the glory of the Lord. And this is not to say that we don't want people in larger number or that we despise the use of buildings, not at all. But we must be careful not to make those things the gauge of our success or our failure. We're aiming higher, folks. We want Christ himself in his glory to manifest himself in this place. And we want people to come because the glory of Christ will be manifested in this place. We want Christ to be the attraction of the house, in other words. This is our joy. This is our strength. This is what moves us to live for him and worship and serve him. We behold his glory among his people who are met to worship him in his name. And so the prophet Zechariah should encourage us today. He should encourage us to believe that God will manifest himself to our hearts in this place. He should encourage us to think big in terms of what we ask God to do. This is God's cause. This is Christ's church. We have the privilege of being a part of it. We have the privilege of being used of God to advance it. Let's beware of the sin of limiting God, and let's be encouraged to ask God to advance his grace in us and through us as he himself meets with us here in this house.
And so our motto text, our verse for 2023, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. Oh, may we see the truth of God's word manifested in our midst in this new year into which we've just entered. Let's close then in prayer. O Lord, as we bow in thy presence and bring this meeting to a close, we pray that thou wilt help us in increasing measure to know the greatness of the God we worship and serve. And may we know thy presence in our midst, dear Lord, according to thy promise. May our hearts indeed be filled to overflowing in the knowledge of the dimensions of thy love, which go beyond what can be comprehended. For we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.